Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's take a deep dive into Dungeons and Dragons. I'm your prepared host, J.S. Garrity. And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic about a half an hour beforehand because I really shouldn't be trusted with that kind of thing. <laughs> so we've we've talked about Dungeons and Dragons multiple times. Yeah. Um, we talked about it last week with our LARPing episode, um, which for us was, you know, 10 minutes ago. For our listeners, that'll be last week. And we've talked about it with the role-playing game episode, and it's come up in various other episodes as well. Yeah. It's it's such an important topic. I mean, not just Dungeons and Dragons, but role playing in general. But I can mm-hmm. I can concede that we should probably stick to mostly to D anD D if we're doing a deep dive into it. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's been a huge part of a whole lot of people's lives for a long time. So yeah, yeah, and I feel like for most people who aren't into role playing games or miniatures games. Um, this kind of like broad category of of nerd gaming. Um, Dungeons and Dragons is the one they know. Mm-hmm. It's the most famous. It's the one you know that any random person off the street probably knows and or has heard of, knows something about. Mm-hmm. Even before Stranger Things, people kind of had an idea of what it was. Um, but I think definitely after Stranger, Th- Stranger Things, um, it kind of rose a little more in popularity. Yeah. People kind of remembered it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it, it definitely did a, a decent job at, at mainstreaming it just a little bit more, which is great. Um, what I really like is that, you know, when I was a kid, it was, oh, that you do that? That's so weird. And, you know, a lot of us will get picked on pretty hard, et cetera. And now it's more like... Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, it's more accepted in yeah. mainstream yeah. society. Yeah. Thank goodness yeah. for like video games and computer games, because I think that's where mm-hmm. a lot of it comes from. Oh, you play Absolutely. D&D? That's cool. I play Halo. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. Call of Duty. Absolutely. I agree. So Dungeons & Dragons originally grew out of a a game called Chainmail. Mm-hmm which was a medieval war game. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I understand of it is it was very combat-based. So mm-hmm. it was more about um, simulating combat and, and less about story, yeah. from what I understand. Yes. And then there was this supplement included in the game about applying the rules of the game into a fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. And this is what eventually grew into the Dungeons and Dragons yep. books. Yep. Um, and it was created by 
Gary um Gygax. Gygax is how you say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gary Gygax and David Arneson. And Tactical Studios, Tactical Studies Rules, TSR, as most people refer to it, um, was the original publisher for yep. Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. And, and it was it, published in 1974. Yes. It, it definitely has its roots a little bit before that. Um, and, you know, there is um, a very fair criticism about kind of like whitewashing um, mm-hmm. and things along those lines. And, you know, if we're being fair, it was two pasty white guys in the late 60s in the Midwest. So uh-huh. it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, the new owner, who's Wizards of the Coast, and they've owned it since the 90s, um, has been much better about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people would point out that drow are evil and they're black. And mm-hmm. now it's like, yeah, they can be kind of whatever color. You know, I think blue and, and things like that. So yeah. it's it's definitely it, it's definitely much more inclusive than it was a long time ago. Um, yeah. I don't think... I've played D and D since '83, I think. Uh, yeah, '83. I I played a, another game at, in like '82, but it was literally just like a single person combat game that my cousin like drew out on a couple sheets of graph paper with simple dice rolls and stuff, which was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, and I don't know that I played with my first African American friend until 2010. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, there were gaps of a few years here and there where I just wasn't really playing anything. But even other games, Star Wars, Deadlands, anything along those lines, I don't, I don't know that we had um, an African-American player at the table uh, or a Hispanic player at the table. Um, and now that's, that's very much changed. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, orcs, dark elves, those mm-hmm. characters were originally portraying very negative stereotypes um and the descriptions were uh kind of evil and and brutish as well more animalistic and um i believe it wasn't until the wizards of the coast owned dungeons and dragons that those changes started being made yeah yeah, if in the regular, the first edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, um, so there was like D&D, which is the old thing called like the Blue Book, um, which was basically like mm. they would hand type the stuff out until they finally had enough money to buy a mimeograph machine, I think is what it was in the in the 70s. Um, and then that went into a couple of other products. One of them was like the basic D&D, which you could get in boxes, like the red box. Mm-hmm. The blue box, green box, whatever they were. I forget the other one. Um, the first one was a wood grain colored cardboard box mm-hmm. with three booklets, Men and Magic, Monsters and Treasure, and Underworld and Wilderness Adventures. And the first print run was a thousand hand-assembled copies and sold out in less than a year. I so tell that was you, the I, very first. Yeah. I kind of want to hunt that stuff down. Like one of the first miniatures games that was like popularized and able to be played um, 
um, H.G. Wells like published a book about it, you know, and you can find a copy of that, but finding copies of those old D&D books, that's much, much harder. Um, mm-hmm. But in, in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, you could play a half-orc, and the half-orcs, I believe, had to be evil, evil alignment. Um, mm-hmm. Now you can play a half-orc, and it can be any any alignment you yeah. want, which is, yeah. or an orc, or a goblin, um, which is good, because mm-hmm. it's kind of crap to, to say, no, 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 you yeah. have to be evil. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that Wizards of the Coast did a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people are mad at Wizards of the Coast right now for other various reasons, but yeah. they really did take the original, um, well, and the advanced Dungeons and Dragons, that came out before Wizards of the Coast acquired it as well. Yes. Um, but Wizards of the Coast did the third, fourth, well, third and 3.5, right? There's a 3.5. Yes. I believe. And then fourth and fifth. Yep. And they're making some changes for the 50th anniversary yep. coming up next year in 2024. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we should probably address that a little bit. Um, Wizards of the Coast. Yeah has had an open license, basically, an open gaming license for 20-something years, and it's what saved D&D. Because mm-hmm. people were able to make their own products. They were able to say, oh, hey, yeah. you know, take the basic rules and you know, use this world, use this setting, um, use these rules, these advanced rules, and go for it. And mm-hmm. you know, they, they had some things along those lines, and they were basically trying to say, no, nah, we're going to change all that, and we're going to start charging you. If you make D&D products, you, you have to start paying mm-hmm. us a big chunk of money. Um, and, and they're acquiring could... the um, online platforms as yes. well as a big one. Yes. Yeah. Now, a lot of that came from two different things. Um, in December of last year, I think the, uh, the president of uh, TSR, maybe it was the CEO, uh, not, not TSR, I'm sorry, uh, Wizards, basically said, you know, D- Dungeons & Dragons is one of our most popular, um, is an incredibly popular IP, and it's woefully under-monetized. We need to be able to make more money from them. And the people who are making these decisions all came from, like, Microsoft Gaming and other digital platforms and the like, and they were like, oh, we can monetize this with um, by making it all, like, subscription-based, just like we would, like, an Xbox kind of set up or something and you know we're going to charge people $35 or whatever it was for you know per month to be able to do this stuff and the community lost it which was good and they helped Pathfinder which is basically a continuation of or originally was a continuation of D&D 3.5 they helped Pathfinder sell out all of their stock they helped call uh Chaosium sell all of the Call of Cthulhu stock uh, which is one of the other super, super popular games. Um, other small companies public, uh, sold out a ton, like a year, the entire year of 2023 stock in two or three weeks. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, That's insane. Yeah. And there are other games out there that I, to be honest with you, think are much better rule sets. Mm-hmm. I don't think D&D is a great rule set. Um, I think there's some stuff about it that I look at and I'm like, why, why would you, like, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. If you're a first level fighter, you have the exact same amount, uh, same chance of doing a, a 
critical hit or a fumble as a 15th level fighter that makes no sense whatsoever there's little things like that that i yeah i just can't stand i think other games do much much better yeah and the fourth and fifth editions were all about listening to feedback that players gave and the first rollout of the new rules were you know like essentially beta testing yeah before they officially came out and with this one it sounds like they've rolled out a few things for people to start testing in their their gameplay but their goal doesn't seem to be about taking feedback and applying it at all yeah it seems like their goal is just consolidation and um money yeah (laughs) making money yeah, I think the honest criticism here is that they want to look like they're taking feedback without actually being bound to no, any feedback. Yeah. Um, there was a pretty big backlash against 4E, which is funny because I loved it. Um, it mm. was very video gamey or yeah, board gamey. That's what Max was saying that yeah. third edition was more. Oh, what did he say about it? I don't remember, but he said something about the fourth being more game, like it went, like maybe the third edition was too loose, like it was too, there wasn't a lot to follow, but then the fourth was like very streamlined and game-like, and then the fifth kind of was the balance between the two. Yeah, I... I played uh, uh, 4E with a group of friends here in the Charlotte area for a few years, and we had like 23 players um, on some nights. You know, I think the lowest number of players once we got rolling was like 13, 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. Um, And 4E just rocked it. We we made a couple of tweaks. You know, we had groups activating at the same time based on whatever their group leader's um, initiative was or something along those lines. But... Mm-hmm. It, it worked out really, really well. And 5e is, yeah, 5e is fine. I mean, it's D&D. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think there was a lot of people, because I remember when the 5th edition came out, and there was a lot of people upset about it. Um, and Max, I think he played, because the 4th edition, when did that one come out? um 2005 yeah so the fourth edition D is what max would have played as a, a youth mm-hmm. um teenager and everything and that's what he was used to mm-hmm. and i remember you know the fifth edition coming out and um it was released in 2014 max and i were were married in 2014 so i remember that very clearly from Mm -hmm. very early in our marriage this thing about the fifth edition of dungeons and dragons and of course i had no idea what he was talking about um actually the first role-playing game i ever played was pathfinder i played pathfinder before i ever played D. yeah i not a huge fan of pathfinder either um but I think it, it just suffers from a lot of the exact same things. Some of the tropes mm-hmm. are like, oh, come on, really? Yeah. It's very, you know, D&D and Pathfinder both can be very, you go into a room, you have a fight. You go into another room, you solve a puzzle. You go into another room, there's light role playing, mm-hmm. and then you have a fight. And it's like, okay. Um, and and the, those are the adventures that are not supposed to be dungeon crawls, you know? 
So, yeah. Um, but there's so much more to storytelling. There's just so many more options out there. Again, yeah. I'm not going to give anybody a hard time who plays D&D. I still play it. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's just not necessarily what I go for if I want some really fun, deep role playing. Mm-hmm. It is nostalgic, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. And that's yeah. why it's continued to be successful and popular. There's a nostalgia yeah. to it. 100% agree with that. Um, you know, again, even for me, you know, it, it brings back memories of like being seven and playing and, or, you know, through high school with a group of friends and, and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Um, you know, but nostalgia only carries so much weight for me. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I want to find a copy of this old set of rules so I can read it again. Um, you know, there were miniatures games based on D and D, um, TSR created one uh, called Battle Systems, and then they had a skirmish version of that. And so you could like gather your D and D minis together and have a big fight, uh, have a battle on a, on a table mm-hmm. or something, uh, which we did a handful of times. And I didn't have a whole lot of money for miniatures, and so I had a really high powered lich who completely broke those games, and I now felt really bad about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now that I understand that stuff better, I'm like, ooh, yeah, we should have we should have made some other decisions there, but that's okay. <laughs> it's what it is. Oh yeah. Um, another D and D controversy outside of the um the whitewashing. Well, this would probably was part of the whitewashing because it was inspired very much by Lord of the Rings mm. and the original. They had. Ents, uh, dwarves, hobbits, um, wargs, balrogs, mm-hmm. and everything. It mm-hmm. was very much a Lord of the Rings world. Yes. And the Tolkien estate sued them for pretty much every, uh, uh, what do they call it? Class, not class, um, race yeah. option. And... They ended up changing hobbits to halflings mm-hmm. and ents into treants and balrogs into balor. So that was another controversy that came yeah. up really quickly. Yeah. Um, and it, there's been, a, you know, there's lots of discussion about hobbit and the origin of that word and and hoblet versus halfling and because the halfling idea wasn't uh invented by tolkien hobbit was mm-hmm. kind of a new word and anyway there's lots of kind of interesting things with copyright and then wizards of the coast copyrights a ton of their terms and so you know if you're a writer or making your own rpg you have to be careful with that too because there's yeah. some words that people just kind of use and are sort of common phrases and common language that are actually copyrighted by yeah. Wizards yeah. of the Coast. Yeah, you definitely have to be uh be careful. Um in their in TSR's deities and demigods, the first edition had like Cthulhu and other like Lovecraftian um, mm-hmm. elder gods or, and stuff like that. And um, 
Yeah. That the supposed uh, copyright holders on those went out, you know, was like, hey, you can't do that. And so they backed off immediately. But, you know, I think it was a, um, like I said, a white guy, a group of white guys from the Midwest who had a bit of a bias for action and just like yeah. copied it wholesale to get it done, to get to that minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, I think they're definitely taking advantage of how popular Lord of the Rings was. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, what I would would say is within a few years, I mean, really, I think the very, very early 80s, maybe the late 70s, there was a uh, there was a Middle Earth role playing game um, called Mm -hmm. Middle Earth Role Playing Game um, by a company called Iron Crown Enterprises. Um, And it was. uh, It was something, I mean. And was that, like, sanctioned by the Tolkien estate, or was that another um, Not by the Tolkien estate, but by Tolkien Enterprises, I think is what it might have okay. been called at the time. Because Tolkien, mm-hmm. before he passed away, um, sold the rights to, like, a company mm-hmm. um, that had been formed in order to receive those rights. And so the, uh, the, the estate, Tolkien Estate, and Tolkien uh, Enterprises have, have been different things for gosh 50 years now or something um Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the reasons christopher tolkien um like pulled together uh the similarillion and all of the unfinished tale stuff specifically was to be able to control as much of possible as of his father's work but you know his father was happy to sell it to another company to be able to do different things like Mm -hmm. um you know the the hobbit and lord of the rings cartoons that were done in the 70s and Oh yeah, those things that a lot of us grew up with, like that was, you know, the Hobbit cartoon. Yes, yes. A a lot of people's childhoods. Yeah, with the uh, with the music, uh, especially. Yep. Uh, Actually, it looks like it was 1984 is when they did it. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. And that makes sense because I think I had I got like the book. A book about Rivendell, maybe a year or two later, maybe maybe a couple, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was it was pretty neat. So the eighties definitely need to talk about the eighties. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the eighties was huge for D anD D, but it was also when um the Satanic Panic occurred. Yeah. And this was like an extension of the Salem witch trials. Um, I think I stumbled on an article when I was looking this up of somebody who like in the last decade was finally exonerated for satanic cult allegations from the 80s. Like just recently. Just (laughs) Um, pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of uh, media coverage about serial killers during that time and it sort of grew into this, um, yeah. you know, the Charles Mason stuff looked really like ritualistic and culty and, and people really ran with that. And I mean, there's a D and D player's handbook that like, looks like a devil on the cover yeah, and it has horns and um, yeah. People thought that D and D was, was a cult. We, we see this regularly, especially in the United States. Um, how many people were saying that Harry Potter was going to introduce 
kids to the occult and witchcraft and yeah. you know make them sell their souls to satan and all this other mm-hmm. stuff and it's like come on then again you know i we still in the united states hear about how i who have you know am bipolar or have some mental health stuff um must actually be uh possessed by satan and i just need to accept mm-hmm. jesus christ more in order yeah. to be cured and which really bothers me as as a believer that bothers me yeah. to no end it just infuriates yeah. me and 500 years ago you know, even a hundred years ago, I might have just been locked away in a in a mm-hmm. an asylum or something because I wouldn't yep. be able to function very well. Yep. And so all of these things just keep happening and happening, happening. And they're these old, mm-hmm. bizarre, awful urban legend kind of things. That's like, are yeah. you serious? Like, how do you? How does any rational human being believe that? And and the truth is, rational human beings don't. Yeah. So. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. At least they're not the being rational while they're. Yeah. Yeah, they're not yeah. making a, a rational decision. Yeah, fear is just insane. And and yeah. I was one of the kids who was caught up in it. My mom was just like, "No, you can't." You know, she was fine with it for a while, and she wasn't. And then eventually, mm-hmm. she kind of got over it, and um, or she in high school she kind of accepted it, and then later in life, I'd be like, "Bye, mom." You know, when I when I moved back to North Carolina, when my mom was still alive um, and was going to school and helping, you know, making sure she was getting to appointments and stuff. I'd be like, okay, bye mom. I'm going to go play D and D. Okay. Bye. <laughs> you know? And um, I think part of that though, was her um, starting to play um, final fantasy of all things. Oh, so yeah. Hey. Video, video games, video games really helped. Yeah. Yeah. She started playing it and she just was like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my mom being my mom and, and the woman that she was, um, she had a binder for every Final Fantasy game where she would print stuff out. She would make notes, draw maps, all kinds of stuff. And it was like, if you've seen uh, The Last Crusade, it was like the Grail Diary. Like you could follow through everything with that notebook That's really cool. for that game. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a good point that this isn't, this isn't an isolated incident. It's not. It wasn't anything new at the time, and it's not anything old now. Um, people still have these misconceptions. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of autistic adults who talk about religious trauma in their childhoods because their parents or religious leader would say they were possessed by a demon. Yeah. And, um, you know, with, with my mental health um, issues, there's been you know, some of that were like, I, I at one time believed that I was being possessed mm. by an evil spirit, um, because of my religious upbringing and, and the very unexplainable things that were happening to me, um, where I didn't feel in control of myself and, uh, others with my same diagnosis went through very similar things, um, where they either believed it or somebody told them they were. And there's a lot of, trauma and abuse that happens because of these allegations which is ironic because the thing people were worried about were you know this satanic cult stuff and abuse and harm that would happen from that when then they were really causing abuse and harm yeah by treating children like they were yeah it's one of the things that really bothers me like anything that's a little different is obviously trying to groom children you know Right now, mm-hmm. it's it's um, drag queens, 
you know, yeah, or story any, time, yeah, yeah or, or anybody that talks about pronouns and stuff. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. hold on a second. Let's look at, let's look at children's pageants. That's grooming children. Yeah. 100%. You know, putting, you know, putting your kids through modeling and, and acting and stuff that's using your children in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, and not to say that those things can't be done in a healthy and empowering way, but what we often see is like overt sexualization of yeah. three-year-olds yeah. and um, and beauty standards and realistic beauty standards being put on, you know, toddlers and young yeah. children. Um, and uh, what was the other one you said after the pageants? The dry queen. Um, oh, the acting and the oh yeah, yeah. Like we see. Like Taylor Swift had really supportive parents, right? And then you see someone like Britney Spears, whose parents were um, using her as a child, and yeah. the differences in in how that has affected their careers yeah. as adults. Yeah, um, you know the the kid who played Webster. Um, his name has completely escaped my mind. He was a young. He he was I don't know if he was a little person or just incredibly short, but he was tiny his whole life, and um, he was in a very very popular sitcom in the eighties and mm-hmm. made millions. And his parents spent every single penny of it before he was eighteen, mm-hmm. and so yeah. he never went back to acting. He might have done like little bit parts here and there or something like cameos or something, but somebody would have had to hunt him down because he was doing he was working in. Um, he was like a security guard the rest of his life um, mm-hmm. so that nobody could take advantage of him. It's going to bother me that I can't remember his name right now, but I just, I can't for the life of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate the way that um, children are exploited in ways that are considered socially acceptable. Yeah. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's a double standard. It's, yeah. It's not it's, great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It just drives me crazy. It bothers yeah. me just so so much. And it's not to say that there isn't like truly evil things out there. Like obviously there are serial killers. Obviously there are ritualistic things um and obviously there is abuse that happens to children. Uh but the the idea of things like D and D Harry Potter that our kids are engaging in being this like lore, like the Pied Piper trying to get children into satanic cults. Yeah. That's just a total lie. Yeah. (laughs) There's just not even any sliver of truth to it at all. And like Wiccans, for example, when I was a kid in the nineties growing up, Wiccans were, in my mind, like satanic witchcraft, yeah. very um, like Halloween, and that's not at all what what Wicca is about. Yeah, there is that part of um, of the of our community, our faith that um, is awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's one of the big issues that I have with. Um, with our community in the United States, especially is, you know, we call ourselves Christian. We're not very Christ-like at all. 
and it really, really bothers me. It's used to hate and oppress and scare, and it should not be any of those things. Um, yeah. And, you know, these these things over time just keep reinforcing it, you know. If it's different, mm-hmm. it means it's wrong. It means it's wicked. It means it's evil. And, you know, 20, 30 years later, most people are like, oh, well, that was a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it'll it'll continue to get better. Um, and that's actually where some of this, I think, now is coming from is this this last gasp effort because people know that kids growing up now don't care. Yeah. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they care about people. They care about individuals and, and being able yeah. to be yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the United States, we, we preach individualism as long as it's not like that. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can honestly say playing D&D and stuff as a kid, I saw all of this, you know, yeah. teachers freaking out. and Yeah, I was going to ask, like, I mean, you mentioned your mom a little bit, but... Um... What were what was your experience growing up in the eighties and and being a D and D player? Yeah, it was ugly. I mean, you know, teachers would freak out about it. Some, you know, I had an art teacher who like taught us how to make dioramas and stuff and, and work with miniatures and things. So I learned all kinds of little stuff from him. Um, but it was it was bad like some teachers would be freaking out my mom would be freaking out they'd gin each other up and make each other even more crazy about it and and all this other stuff and mom actually dragged me into counseling probably on the advice of somebody and the counselor was like no he's fine like what are you what are you worried about i don't understand so yeah so did your mom think that it was just a like renegade behavior um, or with, did, did she really believe that this was think, pulling you into a satanic cult? I, I think that was her concern. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what she believed. You know, I remember my dad um, um, taking me to like one of the hobby shops and, you know, like looking at one of the rules and like, hey, how does he get started? And they're like, oh, this box is, is the way to, you know, is really kind of the way to go. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, now you know, kind of know what you got to do. My, even even at that time, like in that moment, I could think, yeah, but mom doesn't like mom hates this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to start an argument between my parents and I don't want to be caught in the middle of it again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, teachers were not very accepting. Other students, you know, my fellow classmates were not accepting at all. Um, people would like dig through my bag to find stuff and, you know, be like rolling wow. dice across the floor. And yeah, it was it was it was bad. It was pretty awful. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, like, people compare it to the witch hunts, and it's, yeah. it's really how it was. Yeah. I would get pushed around and bullied. You know, at least I was never hung, you know, mm-hmm. which is what happened at Salem, so. Yeah, and I don't, I, as far as I know, nobody was was killed because of, of this panic. Um but people were imprisoned. Broadway yeah, and, imprisoned. and people were ostracized. And in a small community, you know, that's one of the things to keep in mind, especially in the South. Like, you're from that town and you go to that church. Mm-hmm. And if you ever leave, you're wrong. Like, how dare you? You're mm-hmm. breaking it. You know, not even just leave the church, but leave the town. 
oh, he moved, you know, three towns over for a job. What? How how can he? How dare he? Mm-hmm. That's wrong. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure al- along those lines, especially, I think, even more so in the 80s. I think people are starting to uh, understand that it's a, it's a real thing and people need to move around for opportunity and for their mental health and sanity and mm-hmm. everything else. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, D and D and mental health. That's one that I, I want to do an entire t- episode on that. Um, yeah. I think I've mentioned it before that, um, my brother is doing a training for, for using D and D, um, type role playing in mm-hmm. actual therapy. Um, and I'd love for him to be a guest at some point, but I mean, for these kids growing up in the 80s and a little bit of the 90s um as well when there was the panic kind of bled into the 90s too and um being bullied for the thing that was helping them feel belonging and helping them feel worthwhile and i mean just the way that dnd helps kids so much it still does and did back then um I mean, people talk about like how Harry Potter saved them in their childhood, right? And it's the same kind yeah. of thing where D and D really saved kids, and yeah. then they were, at the same time, it was this cause of, of being treated so horribly, and yeah. having it taken away. Many kids, you know, like their parents wouldn't let them play, and having that taken away from you, and and get yelled at about it and get grounded about it and like being treated badly because of it Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah went through it all yeah Um, it's unfortunate yeah what's interesting to me is at the end of her life my mom um who was still very very devout um was a huge harry potter fan Mm -hmm. so in fact you know i mean as problematic as as the author is i still have my mom's hardcovers to give to my my nephew when my sister well i told my sister you know when you think he's ready to to have them you know these are mm-hmm. mom's first edition books um but yeah so they're uh, both he and his little sister are reading them now which is mm-hmm. awesome I'm, I'm really happy yeah um, and we talked a little bit about that nostalgia and i think that's a huge part of it is that this was really really important to a lot of kids it was it's not as simple as oh it's a game i really liked to play um and it's nostalgic because it was something i did as a kid it's very much like this was a lot of kids whole identities you know yeah your identities were built off of this yeah you know i i've been a geek my whole life well i mean since i was six and i read the hobbit and then played that dungeon crawl game or whatever that mm-hmm. my my cousin put together for me when he came to visit us um and yeah i mean it was a really big deal what was it really kind of funny though is i thought it was going to be like that in the marine corps and instead i found a bunch mm-hmm. of geeks even in my platoon mm-hmm. um so we played role-playing games we played miniatures games board games um we had a staff sergeant who was brand new to the to the unit and he went into one of the vehicles and uh, when we were at, when we were, we were out in the field, he gets into one of the opens the door to one of the vehicles. He's like, "Hey, you know, so and so wants you down at the the CP, the command post." I staff sergeant kid gets out and 
starts, you know, heading down there. And so the staff sergeant gets into his seat, closes the door and they were playing risk. And he was like, okay, what color am I? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, we got him into 40 K and all kinds of other stuff. So uh-huh. it was a good time. I feel like risk is a gateway game. <laughs> yeah. 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 It can be. Yeah. I remember, uh, we, we always played risk growing up and, my brother, my older brother, loved it the most out of anyone. Um, and I remember my uh, my other older brother, who's really close in age, were less than two years apart in age. He and I would just, like, play with the figures. Oh, and, yeah. And, like, come up with these, with these stories that were going on. And it would drive my oldest brother insane. He would get so mad. Because we were, <laughs> we were playing with them like they were toys. Um, like dolls or whatever and and he'd be like stop it if you lose a single piece I'm gonna be so mad or like focus on the game and I just remember as a kid being like all these games last too long and my dad and my brother would take forever with their turns and um yeah I find Dungeons and Dragons a lot more engaging for me (laughs) than Risk was personally yeah yeah I can completely understand that there are still games that can out there that can drag on and on and on and on and it's just like why are we doing this like seriously we got rid of monopoly in our house max and i like we can't play monopoly together it goes too long and then we get mad at each other well the the funny thing about that is if people don't add in the house rule especially about free parking uh it doesn't take long it's fast and brutal so i know people who don't play the game because it's so cutthroat and I get it, not because it lasts so long, but um, and then that yeah, for Disney... us it was like both, you know. Yeah. It was, we'd yeah. Get mad at each other. It's, yeah. It's, it's cutthroat, and yeah. Well, um, there's that card game Disney Villainous. You everybody plays a Disney villain, and uh, myself and two really good friends who are brothers, all three of us, you know, military veterans, we almost got into a three way fist fight playing this game, mm-hmm. and. To tie this back to D&D, that's what you don't want, by the way, everybody, is if you've got three players and, you know, on your side, in your group, there's probably supposed to be a team. So don't do that. Like, that's the worst thing you can do. Well, my character would do this. Well, you know, you, you should be playing somebody who's a good teammate. Yeah. Yeah. Blaming your own decisions on the character yeah. is really kind of pathetic <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a little rough mm-hmm. i would i mean max and i when we first started playing D together i i pushed him quite a bit and it was you know his first times dming were were uh with me and i he he says now like he he uh as a much more experienced DM wouldn't have had an issue with some of the things I pulled. Gotcha. But, (laughs) but I, you know, I really pushed kind of in the same way of making up these like stories with the little risk figurines. Mm -hmm. I would go in these other directions and the, the the person who ran our Pathfinder game, the first time I ever played a, a RPG uh, she was frustrated too because I would get fixated on something and, and really push for it 
And she was trying to steer us in a different direction. And I was just like, no, I need to get, get over this wall. I have to find a way to get over this wall. And she was like, no, you're supposed to not be able to get over the wall because then it leads you somewhere else that you're supposed to go. (laughs) And I was just really set on getting over that wall. And, um, depending on, you know, the, the group that you're with, you can have that sort of freedom of, yeah, "Yeah, let's, let's see what's, what's over that wall or some people who run games grossly over prepare and anything that is uh is going to be an obstacle to them getting through what they have planned on their railroads is a Mm no-go whereas you know in in role-playing games for the most part you should follow the you know the cardinal rule of um of uh sketch comedy um where it is not scripted um oh my gosh my brain is just not with it improv thank you which is Which is yes and, you know, yes, Mm -hmm. you can do this and here's a complication or yes, you can do this and here's another thing that happens because of it. Mm -hmm. Not ever. No, just flat out. No, just is so awful to hear (laughs) as a player, especially when it's over and over and over and over again. But it's it's hard when you're first starting out with DMing because, you know, you're on the spot a little bit and improvising is hard and. I'm a, I'm a planner, right? And so I would totally fall into that trap of over-preparing and then, you know, freezing up when it gets derailed. And yeah. um, Max is really great at that now. He's way better yeah. at it than he would give himself credit for even. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I would give him a hard time about things in the early days. I'm a little nicer to him now. Yeah. Uh but I, yeah, I gave him a hard time because for me hearing about the premise of D&D, I was like, oh, open invitation, freedom, do what you want to do. So I would add in things like, oh, I found a cat at the inn. And he would be like, I never said there was a cat at the inn. I was like, yeah, but I found one. It's going to be a cat at the inn. I've just when, decided that. When down the road we play fate, that's exactly how fate works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Max even told me he's he said that he thinks I'll I'll really like fate. Yeah. Um. Well, that is our time for today. We've been your hosts, Ludlow Adams and Jay Scarity. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been we're lying, but that's okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.